I am so excited to bring this interview with Scott Lerner to you because I get the opportunity to truly understand what it is like to be a CEO of a publicly run company, an amazing brand, and bringing it forward to the next level. But (laughs) he brings forward such an interesting concept that I talk so much to the C-suite leaders of today. Yes, we are excited about our business. We have a proven track record to grow the business, build the people, the infrastructure, et cetera. But sometimes we get blinded by the lagging indicators of growth, of sales, of market share. When sometimes we grow so fast, we realize we don't have the right people in the right positions. We don't have a solid foundation. And I ask leaders, do you have the courage to ask for help now to build or rebuild that foundation, set your people up for success? Because I can tell you, and based on the conversation with Scott Lerner, if you don't have a solid foundation, it's going to make the uphill scalability of your business so much more challenging, and you may throw it into chaos or possibly crisis. Now, I don't need to be a Debbie Downer, but honestly, think about your situation. Even if you're not a C-suite leader today, maybe one of tomorrow, you too can build solid foundations to set you and your team up for success. Let's listen to this amazing interview with Scott Lerner. I think in any business, right, there's certain plateaus you reach as you increase the size of your business. And with that comes challenges. And I think most importantly, it isn't, again, back to what I mentioned before, I don't believe it's as much related to revenue goals as it is to how you're spending your money and and how efficient you are with your business to ultimately grow profitability, especially as it relates to a public company, the higher you can get your EBITDA percentage the more someone's going to be willing to pay for your company, whether it be the stock or at the end of the day, if you're selling the whole thing. So I think those are the challenges that come with scale, right? And it's, I think the main challenge, right, is complexity. As you get bigger, things are more complex. And if you didn't set, I kind of look at when you're building a business, it's like building a house, right? If your foundation isn't strong, the whole house is going to fall down on top of it. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the drop-in CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, Join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of the Drop-In CEO brand, and I want to thank you again for joining me on another episode of the podcast where I get to speak to amazing leaders week after week and share their insights with you. And if you like this program, please subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you amazing programming. And just know, I am here to help the C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow navigate their challenges with confidence. And today, 
I am so honored to share the mic with my amazing guest, Scott Lerner, the CEO of Better Choice Companies. Scott is a consumer products veteran with over 20 years of experience in the consumer packaged goods industry, having previously worked for PepsiCo, Conagra Foods, and Kimberly Clark, where he managed iconic brands such as Naked Juice, Quaker Oats, Scott Tissue, and Parquet Margarine. And in 2008, Scott created his own beverage brand called Selixir, resulting in a successful exit in 2014. Following the sale of Selixir, Scott partnered with the private equity group VMG Partners to become the CEO of Colonel Seasons, where he introduced new product lines and increased productivity. And finally, he was most recently the CEO of the food brand Farmhouse Culture, where he partnered with private equity investors to reposition the brand in order to capitalize on growing health and wellness trends. And Scott, it is my honor to welcome you on to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. So a little bit for my listeners, I found Scott, I was just searching for CEOs out there that have had all kinds of experiences from small and medium-sized companies. What were their challenges? What were their successes? And after our discovery call, I just realized I had to bring his story to you. And also, uh, he's a lover of pets and the story of the work that he's doing to support the pet community is amazing. So Scott, you have the floor. I'd love for you to share a bit with our listeners, a bit about yourself personally, as well as the journey and the work that you're doing now? You know, I like to define myself as a corporate-ready product and an entrepreneurial package. After college, I did something different and went in the Marine Corps. I was an officer in the Marine Corps for five years, which gave me, gave me a great basis in terms of leadership and management. And I decided after my five years, I'd go into my MBA and then go into the business world. Kind of fell in love with brand management. And I knew that I wanted to work for Fortune 500 companies, again, to get training become corporate ready, if you will. And that's where I went with Kimberly Clark and ConAgra and PepsiCo. And I knew all along that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I knew that if I armed myself with the proper information and training, I would be more successful. And so I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm very linear and very sort of factual in how I approach things. And so went through the big company journey, decided to do my own entrepreneurial venture in 2008. Did that for five years. It was like 100 MBAs in one and a really tremendous opportunity for me. Once I finished that, I decided that I would want to stay entrepreneurial, but go to somewhere that had more scale. So the private equity world made sense to me. So partnered up in the private equity sector, did a couple of deals there. And then my opportunity currently with the Better Choice Company came across my desk at the end of 2021. It was a really interesting thing for me. I'm a builder. I like to fix things. I like challenges. And one of the things that I hadn't done to date was run a public company. And so I thought to myself, you know, beyond the challenge, it would be a lot of fun. You get to learn new things. And so it was a combination of two things, being public and also, as you mentioned, my love for dogs. My wife would probably confirm that I would say many days I like dogs better than people. And I really wanted to be in the pet sector a little bit of a smaller sector than the broader CPG industry. So when an opportunity comes across your desk, you kind of have to take it. So it was a great situation for me. Not only could I work in a new category that I was really interested in, but also take on some new challenges from a public perspective. At the same time, building something and embracing my entrepreneurial spirit. And when I came to Better Choice, I kind of coined it a $50 million startup, which was nice. Normally, you start up, it's zero. Here, it was 50. 
So you have a lot of wind behind your sails and scale from the start, which allows you to be at a different point in time in terms of the journey. I was kind of past the financial and emotional capacity needed to be a startup CEO and even a smaller sort of sub $10 million type CEO. This is naturally how I wanted my career to progress. And, you know, ultimately we will take this business to, you know, say a quarter of a billion dollars in revenue and then hopefully transact and then kind of continue to move up the ladder. Scott, before we get to the serious part of the interview, I want to double back to what your wife said about liking pets and dogs possibly more than people. What is the difference? I'm just curious from your perspective. You know, listen, I think pets provide a level of emotional support that in many cases a human doesn't want to give you on a daily basis. They're thankless and they're loved back to you. And they just bring, to me, great comfort companionship. And obviously, you saw that during the COVID pandemic in terms of 11 million new pets were added to the industry. People were getting them hand over fist. And so I think for me, they don't talk back. They don't question. They're always that sounding board for you. And with me and our company, you know, we are essentially virtually based. So we work out of the house most of the time. And it's really your coworker who's spending a lot of time with them. So it's fun for me. My golden noodle, Leo, is my best friend many days. And it's fun to make a pet food, dog food that I know is the best for him. It's interesting, though, that you say about pets. They show you the comfort. They're empathetic. They're supportive. Wouldn't humans take a lesson from that? The world might be a better place when we're trying to do business. So I just want to go back into, so you just make everything sound so easy. It's a matter of fact. Just curious about the jump from working from all of these big companies, very intentional. What gave you the mindset or confidence to say, I'm just going to jump in and do the entrepreneurial thing? Because a lot of people don't do it because they have fears, mindset, whatever. What was it about you that propelled you forward into that? It's funny you asked. I think the impetus was when I was at Pepsi, we bought a brand called Naked Juice. It was a super premium juice company that was, they'll call it a $50 million business, so very small in the Pepsi portfolio. I was put on the team to go help manage that business. So I moved out to California with my wife and my son, who was probably 18 months at the time. And that kind of gave me the foray into like being comfortable, understanding how to operate with a little bit less resources, a little bit more ambiguity and, and less scale. And so I think that gave me the comfort to try to make a jump. But ultimately, I taught entrepreneurship for five years at Northwestern. And I would tell this story to my students every single year was, imagine yourself standing on the edge of a cliff and you got to jump. And it's really hard for most people to make yourself jump. Sometimes, unfortunately, you need a push. And so, you know, I credit my wife for that push. She said, hey, let's just go do this. And if it doesn't work, you know, we'll figure it out. But it was a scary step to take where I was making good money, a good company. And I went the next day to make zero, moving in with my in-laws back in Chicago with my eight-month-old son and, and bootstrapping this thing from the, the start. So a lot of times, again, you need someone to kind of push you over the edge to get you there. But you need, as an individual, to get to the edge, right? You need to be comfortable crawling up to the edge. And then, you know, sometimes you need a push. In my case, I needed the push and kind of the rest is history, I guess. 
I mean, I share a similar story, the push as I left corporate comfort <laughs> into also the entrepreneurial spirit. And I think we're we are fearful maybe of the ambiguity of it all, but then there is something that comes with the glory or the ability to make more decisions on your own without checking permission and being able to experiment and often successful or at least closer to what you want. So while there is a lot of fear, I think there is just so much freedom that comes with being an entrepreneur. Absolutely. So you make it sound so easy. <laughs> I mean, you're in an amazing company now. I just wanted to just share with you, whoever is doing your marketing with you for the company, as I watch you on LinkedIn, there's always a pet. I mean, a month ago, there was Monday Pup Cups <laughs> with the dogs out there. So often a CEO of a company doesn't put themselves out there. They don't put their thought leadership. They depend solely on the marketing company, but it's not just, okay, we've got the best brand. There are real day-in-the-life images of people with their pets, et cetera. Tell me a little bit more about the marketing and the branding of the company because you put yourself really out there. So what's interesting, and it kind of goes back to the idea that we're a public company, and it wouldn't be any different if I was an entrepreneur or private equity is, and I'm sure you know this line, people, especially investors, bet on the jockey, not the horse. And I think because of that, you need to put yourself out there even more so from a public company standpoint in terms of being a CEO to show thought leadership, to show confidence, to show leadership and visibility because many of my institutional investors and even retail investors, the more they know me as a person, the more they can trust me and trust the strategies that we're putting into place. So you know, the way I look at marketing, that's my gig. Like I'm a trained marketer or a brand manager through my time. You know, we have our brand marketing for Halo, which is our pet food brand. And then BTTR, our better choice company is, is a brand in itself. And so I think every day we're marketing every day. And I tell my team, like everyone in the company is a salesperson, right? Whether they're physically selling a bag of dog or cat food or selling the brand or the company. We need to do that on a daily basis and social media provides that platform to be visible, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, whatever the case may be. So what I do like to do is make sure that there's cohesion between sort of the consumer marketing campaign and the way we talk about the company as well. And so our consumer marketing campaign, which we recently launched, it's called the world's best food for the world's best kids, i.e. going back to that idea that pets in many households, and it's a true insight, rank above kids. And if you look at millennials specifically, and I don't know, you know, where your daughter ranks in, in the age groups, but if she's a millennial, many of them are delaying getting married, delaying having kids, and they see their pets, whether it's a doodle or a pug or whatever, as their child, and they'll refer to it as their child. And so we are tapping into that insight through our campaign. It's been very successful, and it kind of comes full circle and this is the way I approach businesses, especially in sort of a cluttered category, is what's your point of difference? How do you stand out? And when I came in, I created you know a mission statement where I wanted to be the most innovative super premium pet food brand in the world. And that wasn't just product, it was marketing, it was the way we're going to market. So we did a lot of stuff differently. If you look at my company, 50 plus employees and there's a ton of diversity, not only you know, sort of gender, religion, and sexual orientation, but where they come from from the experience perspective, because I'm a big believer if you just get everybody from the same place, you're just going to have, you know, sort of a monogamous 
idea that spits out at the end of the rainbow, if you will. So I have people from the pet industry, I have people by design outside the pet industry. And it's the same thing with our external agencies. The ones that we work with on a marketing capacity really didn't have a lot of experience in pet. And that's why we were able to generate something that was quite different than the next you know, pet food brand. So if you're going out and you're spending, deploying capital against an idea and nobody listens and nobody wants to listen, then it's just a complete waste of money. And then therefore, I wouldn't be doing justice to my shareholders. And so that's the way we approach things. Everything's innovative. We're willing to, when I hire people, and this is another, I guess, lesson learned that I would preach to any current CEO or upcoming CEO is your job is really a chief recruiter and you're only as good as your team and your people. And so I run point on every single recruitment we do. I've, I've hired about 30 people in the company. I've used zero recruiters, done it all through my network. But the one thing that is a common denominator is I always look for, I say, people that want to stick their hand out and get it slapped. You know, that's the mentality that I'm looking for. And that's sort of the risk, if you will, that we're trying to take as a company, whether it be in marketing, whether it be in hiring people, whether or how we're attacking the market. So this is amazing. And just <laughs> you were bringing up some things about my kids, my millennial son, 31, he and his wife have two cats and they are everything to them. My middle son for a while had a cat. It was everything to them. And uh, my son and my daughter brought home the dog, <laughs> the rescue, and he runs the universe, but truly redefining family can be the unit with just the pets as well. What I really want is as much as our listeners are listening, I want a little bit of a plug for the product. First of all, I and my brand do everything differently. I always ask why. I always propose something different versus what the Joneses are doing. But you talk about super premium pet food. If there's a few pet owners or lovers out there in the audience, what is it that truly differentiates yours versus the other? Because as you say, it's a noisy market. What was interesting was, listen, I was a consumer of pet food for many, many years, and I didn't really understand what was going into these products. First and foremost, it's protein is important to animals. And what is most important is that it comes from animal sources because you know they're carnivores and many of the cheaper brands will use plant-based proteins or cheap plant-based proteins to boost up the protein. So like Halo Elevates, an example, where 90% of the protein comes from animal sources. And then what we also do is we provide really high levels of key nutrients and supplements that dogs need, whether it be chondroitin or omega-6, omega-3 glucosamine, so that you don't have to supplement the food with supplements, which many pet owners are doing. So you kind of get all in one. So it's extremely palatable. When I put it in Leo's bowl, it's gone within two minutes. And I never had that situation before. And then it's really good for them. So I think that's the key there and why our products are so good. And, you know, you can find more information on Halo at halopets.com is the website for the brand. And then for the company itself, our IR website is betterchoicecompany.com. So, you know, Halo is the consumer brand, Better Choice Company is called the holding company, if you will. So you sound like nothing will stop you. You're always up for a challenge, as you said, a hundred MBAs in one when you dipped your toe into the entrepreneurial space. And you said, again, this is a, not so much of a startup, but it is a bit of a startup. Now let's go there a little bit because I want to just understand the environment that you're in right now. It's a publicly traded company. It's not a startup, but you're looking to grow it to $250 million. I mean, what are the challenges? What keeps you up at night? As much as you can share with us, because again, you make it sound easy, but it isn't always easy. I mean, obviously, as you know, and I'm sure you've interviewed 
various folks over the last year that this is a very challenging environment. There's a ton of macroeconomic trends or headwinds against many businesses, you know, commodity costs, fuel, labor, you name it, we've seen it. And I think what has allowed us to progress through that is going back to that mentality of corporate ready and entrepreneurial package is having the data, having smart minds to analyze that and make clear, concise business decisions. So at the end of the day, and I was just having this discussion with my team prior was, you know, businesses don't fail because necessarily bad products or brands or whatnot, it's, they run out of cash. And I think one of the key things for us was when we IPO'd on the New York Stock Exchange last June, we raised $40 million of capital at the same time. It gave us enough fuel going forward to achieve our growth initiatives, which include growing at close to 40% versus a year ago. But what's key is maintaining and, and hopefully growing margin, you know, gross margin, uh, especially in the consumer products uh, company, which is quite challenging right now as we are in, you know, in an inflationary environment, you know, potential recession coming. And so it's constantly managing the business and let, not letting the business manage you, empowering your team to make decisions because you need to be very quick and tactical in your decision making to take advantage of opportunities. And if, if I have to make all the decisions, then we're just not going to be successful. And I think as a leader, you need to be comfortable in that, right? And it kind of comes back again to if I'm the lead recruiter and I vetted out every individual that I bring in the company, then I should trust them and empower them to make decisions. And if I don't, then I wasn't doing a good job when I was recruiting them. So I think that's the primary challenge to date, right, is controlling costs and, and margin and, you know, obviously at the same time growing, which we are. But at the end of the day, investors want to see companies that can move to profitability. And, you know, we're well on our way to do that. But you know, at the end of the day, if you can't, then who's going to bank on you, right? Because it's not, again, that you don't have a great pet food brand. It's just you don't have cash to sustain the business. One of the things that I love what you said was, again, there's a lot of smart people around you. You're doing all the right things from sales and marketing, et cetera, going IPO, congratulations. But at the end of the day, it centers around people and having the right people, the smart people. And as you said, empowering the people, because so often leaders enjoy the power that decisions have to go through all kinds of chains of command to move things forward. And in a smaller company, you said 50-ish people. Oh, I love the agility of those small and medium-sized companies because they can make quick decisions. I would add to Deb, in this environment, we're not different than many of the companies out there, both big and small, working in a virtual environment. Is if you don't have a decentralized command, I just don't know how you would operate virtually because like, if every decision needs to be made at the top, you just will slow down and things won't happen because you're also not physically in the office together. So, you know, you have trust is a huge thing and it's a huge thing when you're in a virtual environment, you know, knowing that your team is going to be doing their job because obviously I don't know what's going on. And quite frankly, I don't really care if they're working on the couch or their kitchen table. It's, they get the job done. And so that's that back to, you know, as you mentioned, trust. You have to have trust in your team. And if you demonstrate where you have lack of trust, then the whole system breaks down and it falls apart. So this next question is philosophical. Let's just assume 
great marketing team. People on my podcast starts buying your food. Sales is no longer an issue. At least you're at a place of maintaining and hopefully gaining. From your experience as you build a business, what then becomes the next issue or bottleneck or problem to sustain that growth? I'm curious. Sure. I mean, I think in any business, there's certain plateaus you reach as you increase the size of your business. And with that comes challenges. And I think most importantly, it isn't, again, back to what I mentioned before, I don't believe it's as much related to revenue goals as it is to how you're spending your money and and how efficient you are with your business to ultimately grow profitability, especially as it relates to a public company. The higher you can get your EBITDA percentage, the more someone's going to be willing to pay for your company, whether it be the stock or at the end of the day, if you're selling the whole thing. So I think those are the challenges that come with scale. The the main challenge, right, is complexity. As you get bigger, things are more complex. And if you didn't set, I kind of look at when you're building a business, it's like building a house, right? If your foundation isn't strong, the whole house is going to fall down on top of it. So we sort of over-invest and spend a lot of time on things where you would probably say like, gosh, why do you guys really worry about getting your ERP system right or automating all your data or whatever the case may be, you know, you don't really need that right now. And I would probably say to you, yeah, you're probably right. But in 12 months, I know I will because we're going to grow really quickly and this will allow me to grow. You know, I kind of use military analogies a lot. And one of the analogies I use a lot is it's called back in the Marine Corps, we called it a combat multiplier. It was like something that was small in, in size, but created a big impact. So automating your data, you know, having the proper tools, systems, SOPs in place, those are business combat multipliers, if you will, that will allow you to grow very quickly and probably like with less resources because you have efficiencies built in. So that's the way I, I approach it. And as we scale, then you can tap into those things. But undoubtedly, you'll never stop facing challenges, whether you're a $200 million company or a $50 million company. They're just different challenges. And I think, and what's interesting about what you do, I think very much about people and leadership and whatnot. It's like, as you probably know from your career and talking to lots of people, the more people you have, that's a challenge in itself. Think about that within a virtual environment. So, you know, like I have 50 people in my company, which virtually it's not a small amount. I kind of have to like physically go through my list every day and say like, oh, hey, have I talked to Romeo? Have I talked to Alex? Have I talked to Katie? Because that's the way I want to lead this company. So you can imagine if you have 50, then 100, and 200 people, I think those are challenging itself to keep to motivate people to have them buy into your mission and, and those things. So when I think about your question, I almost think it's more internal issues, people issues that are the challenge as you scale versus marketing, sales, things like that. You're speaking to my heart here because that is what I see in businesses. One company that I did work with focused first on operational efficiency to the point where they had extra capacity. They had to talk to the sales team, fill up this capacity. We can turn on a dime now because we have all this automation. But so often I see leaders and you do have to focus on the sales to bring in that revenue, sustain the business, but then they don't invest enough time on the operational efficiency. And for business owners or leaders that focus now on the automation and processes, they're ready for when things go boom, rather than things go boom and you're in a place of crisis and you can't deliver. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you have to bet on, we're all doing this because we hopefully trust in that confidence that we can build something of scale and you have to like bet on the come a little bit and with, with what you said is make sure that the foundation and the systems are there to support it. Because if you don't think you're going to grow to that size and why are we even doing this, I guess is the point. So I have so enjoyed this interview with you because first of all, I love the size company. I don't go by the dollars, but there's something special about a company when they're that 25 to 50. They got this can-do culture. You've got a great brand. I love what you guys are doing on social media. You can't help but feel endeared about your brand. So I do wish you success with it. I love watching you and seeing where you're going to go. But as we bring this to a close, is there any last thoughts that you might have for other leaders? aspiring leaders or anything you want to say to our audience because I also want people to check you out check out the company and the products that you offer yeah I mean the only thing that I would add like when I started my own startup it was back in August of 2008 which wasn't a great time in the economy and, and right now it isn't either like to be honest don't let that curtail your dreams of whether starting something up or taking on a new challenge I think Smart people can get things done. And if you surround yourself with people you trust and that are smart, you'll be successful. So don't let the macro environment affect your dreams, I would say. Trust yourself and your gut and you'll be successful. Oh, Scott, (laughs) you're speaking to my heart again because I too see it have a vision for my business to be able to impact so many. So you give me encouragement and inspiration to keep going. So I do want to wish you, Scott, success as well as the success of your company and just want to say thank you for being an amazing guest. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, CEO's Compass will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.